Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We have a guest speaker with us, and we hope that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Hey, we're excited this morning to have uh, missionary Joel Marbot uh, with us. Joel has been in Ecuador for over 20 years and in the Amazon region, he and his family have impacted that region in such a great way. I've known him for a long time. I was with Joel. He picked me up at the airport in Cuenca one time, and we were going to the Amazon. I was in his big Land Rover. We had his two small boys, Drew and Will. We're going through the jungle. There is a mudslide, and the road is gone. There's no road, and it's just different over there than here. So Joel said, well, come on, we'll just sit on the side of the road. I thought I would die. I mean, I had one pack of crackers that I'm going, okay, this is day one, day two. I wasn't sharing with Joel and his family at all. You know, Joel, we're just sitting on the side of the road. Drew and Will, they're climbing trees. They're in the jungle. They're bringing me lizards. They're bringing spiders and I, I'm just like, what? I mean, what do we do? There, there's no place to go. A little while later, a government pickup truck came up with some workers, and they took their shovel, and they kind of created a, a, a road. And I was so thankful to God for these miracle workers that came. You know, but it was just a normal day in Ecuador for Joel. I mean, his boys, it just wasn't a big deal. And uh, they have done a phenomenal job planting over 70 churches Uh, starting Hope House. He's going to tell you about that this morning. So when I tell you we have a missionary hero in the house, that is so true today. Would you make welcome to Generations Church, Joel Marbot. We are Joel and Leah Marbot, and we are so excited to be celebrating over 20 years of ministry in the Amazon jungles of Ecuador. During that time, we've had an incredible privilege of seeing God's hand through planting dozens of churches and villages that had never had the gospel and training hundreds of native pastors to be able to preach the gospel in their own native tongue and in reaching and baptizing thousands of believers who had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of young girls have come through the Ecuador Hope House And during that time, they have received food, education, and safety. But most of all, they received the love of a home. And although we can testify of God's goodness, we realize that our greatest task is still before us. As John Wesley said, untold millions are still untold. And our next step is to plant 100 new churches in villages that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and to train 400 new national pastors to be able to continue to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ into the areas that have never heard. This fall, we will be opening our doors to many new girls, making this our largest group yet. Our desire is to launch a second phase where we will be able to help many more girls in the future. It is only through your prayers and faithful support that we can continue to extend 
the kingdom of God in the darkest places. What a privilege to be with Generations Church this morning. It is such an incredible opportunity to be here with you. And my wife, Leah, sends her warmest greetings. Pastor Brian, thank you so much. I'm telling you, I mean, I knew Pastor Brian when he was a youth pastor, when I was a youth. I'm not trying to say he's older than me. I'm just saying, like, he was the youth pastor. I was the youth. Uh, I don't think we're that far apart. He was a very young youth pastor, and I was a little overdeveloped as a youth. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, and God is so good. You know what's crazy about coming to Ecuador is I will work you harder than you've ever worked, and I'll make you love it, okay? I will make you love it. At the end of the day, you can look back and say that you had left blood, sweat, and tears in Ecuador for the kingdom of God. And it is such an honor to have my oldest son with me today, an incredibly uh, talented man of God. He's becoming very, very quickly, um, I'm becoming known as Drew Marbet's dad. I'm no longer Joel Marbet, but Drew Marbet, and this guy is just amazing. And, uh, you know, for me, I remember, I watched that video, I can't help but recall that in 1998, God called us to the Shuar Nation, actually, and then I called me individually, and in the year 2000, God called us collectively as a couple to move to Sakua, Ecuador, that was called a missionary graveyard. They said, there's no way you're ever going to have any kind of success that over 120 years, evangelical missionaries had attempted to plant churches and reach the native population without success. And we had a goal and a vision to plant two churches and baptize 150 believers in water in 20 years. That was our goal. And actually, just last year, we did an evaluation to see how we were doing. And I have to tell you, we failed uh, because we found out we planted 70 churches and we baptized over 7,000 believers in water in 20 years. And Generations Church has been a part of that. You guys have planted that one of those 70 churches. You sent a special offering to us two years ago. And you know what? God used that offering to help us reach, mobilize a little lady pastor that went into a village that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, there's a thriving church in that village because of your generosity. Now, we started planting churches and things just started happening. And we found out that we plant churches really well. And then in 2006, a little girl was dropped on our doorstep. The conversation changed quite a bit because at that moment, um, we were planning churches and we were comfortable. But as much as I've tried, I have yet to find the verse in the New Testament. Now, I know that some of you guys are better Bible scholars than I am, and I just want you to show me where it is. Where's the verse that said, blessed are the comfortable? I've looked for it. Or you know what? I have come that you might be happy. I can't find either one of those verses. I have looked front and back, and even though I can't find them, it's like every time we get to a place of being comfortable that God says, okay, take one more step. Just go a little bit deeper. And so in 2006, God obliged us to take another step when a little girl was dropped on our doorstep, and all of a sudden, something took place in my marriage. Now, some of you men that are here with your wives, you'll understand what I'm saying, that there's a quote somewhere. This is not original, but hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. 
Now, if you're with your wife, you don't have to raise your hand. Just raise your eyebrow because I don't want you to get in trouble, okay? But some of us have lived that reality, right? Silence. You see that? Isn't that great? Isn't that proving my point? I saw every eyebrow in the church of the married men go, yes, amen, amen. But heaven hath no ally like a woman inspired. Mama got inspired in 2006 because we found out that 85% of the little girls in our province were sexually abused before they're 12. And we found out that 40% of the little girls under the age of 16, 14 to 16 years old, they're either pregnant or they have kids. And then probably the one that really did the most damage in our hearts and our minds was the fact that we have the highest level of mothers under the age of 12 where we live. And all of a sudden, my wife said, we have to do something. And so in 2006, we started the Ecuador Hope House. And I remember when we started this process, our goal, we started out with one, then it was three, then it was five, and then all of a sudden, my wife has this great idea of building a girl's home and we had no money, and we didn't know what we were going to do, but all by the grace of God, we built this building, and we said, hey, we're going to build it huge so that we'll never run out of space, right? <laughs> we're going to make it big enough for 20 girls because God knows we'll never have 20 girls in a year in the Ecuador Hope House. And this year, 2020, we have 60 little girls that call the Ecuador Hope House home. And since its inception, we've had over 300 little girls that have come through that home. And the ones that fill my life with the most joy, every year when they come home. <coughs> the ones that fill my life with the most joy, I get to meet their kids, I get to meet their husbands, I get to hear about their studies because some of them get scholarships to go to university. But the ones that fill my life with the greatest joy are the little girls that are now missionaries that God took from the most vulnerable situation and gave them hope and gave them a message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. Now, we live in the jungle. And uh, as Pastor Brian was saying, we live in the middle of nowhere. And, I, you know, my kids have grown up their entire life in the jungle. <clears throat> like you said, you know, they, there's a lot of things that you guys would really be taken aback. And they're just like, this is our normal life. No big problem. No issues. Nothing at all. But every so often, our rareness leaps out while we're here in the States. And I remember one time when all of my kids, if, if you've ever traveled internationally and you've ever come into an international terminal, uh, you, you know the bottleneck that's there, right? And, and, and I remember one time when the, our kids were small and we were coming into the Miami airport and everyone that was traveling internationally that day also came into the Miami airport. 
and there was a bottleneck of thousands of people trying to get through customs and make connecting flights on the other side. And here we were at the time, only with three kids, and, and my oldest son, who was probably six at the time, breaks free from the crowd, from the herd, and he goes running over to a water fountain. He sticks his face in the water fountain. He turns around, and he announces to the entire group, but specifically to his kids, to, to my other two kids, his siblings, he looks back and he says, come on, you guys, it's cold, it's free, and you can have all you want. <laughs> And everyone in the international terminal looked at me like, what kind of freak are you? Where do you chain your kids up at night? They don't get to drink from water fountains? I mean, what kind of parents are you? Sometimes you just can't explain away the reality of your call. Now, I have to admit that last night, Pastor Brian did something very strange for me, okay? Like, he, he, you guys know that he's an Alabama fan, right? Right, I mean, and I'm from Alabama, but I'm not an Alabama fan. I am an actual Christian, okay? And, and I, I am for the good guys. I'm not part of the Death Star. I'm part of the Jedi. I just want all this stuff known. I want everything to be known out front. But last night, with much gratitude, Pastor, he says, look, come over to my house. And Auburn and Tennessee are playing, Right. And, uh, and he said, come on, and we'll watch the game, and we'll have some food. And I said, you know, we're sitting there watching the game. I said, you, this is like watching your two ex-wives fight in the Walmart parking lot. You don't really care who wins because you, you, you dislike both of them equally. It's like it doesn't matter because neither one of you going home with me tonight, okay? <laughs> so I get to come home, and I get to watch football, and, I, and when I come home, I have to admit that I don't want healthy food. I've never said the entire time I'm in the States, boy, I wish I had an apple, or maybe if somebody had an orange or a banana, I want good Southern food. And I have a theory in life, if it slows down long enough, I can fry it and eat it, okay? And, and, and one thing that I love, I, I remember walking into a restaurant several years ago, and a Popeye's chicken, right? You guys got Popeye's chicken. I walk into a Popeye's chicken. I walk in, and I can see the young lady behind the cash register, and she has fear in her eyes. It comes through, and I can tell she's rehearsed her lines proficiently. And when I walk up to the counter, she says, Welcome to Popeye's chicken. We have everything on the menu except chicken. Exactly. I looked at her, I said, what do you have? It's called Popeye's chicken. It's in your name. You don't have chicken? Are you serious? I didn't come here for the biscuits or for the rice or for the gravy. I came here for the fried chicken. Now, it's kind of like when people come to the jungles of Ecuador on a trip and they say, oh, we didn't know it was going to rain. You never told us. I said, it's in the name, Amazon rain forest you can plan ahead it's kind of like going to disney world and saying i didn't know that i was going to see mickey mouse well that's where he lives okay that's why you go to these places and you go to popeye's chicken to get chicken and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know where the disconnect was. Maybe in the kitchen, in the order, in the front office. But someone had to have lost their job that day because they did not recognize the reason Popeye's chicken exists. 
They didn't get it. And you know what? There's Christians that are here today, and some of you are listening to me online, that you don't get it. You do not realize the reason that Jesus came in the incarnation. You do not realize the reason he died on the cross. You don't realize the reason that he was buried and descended into hell and he ascended into heaven and he seated that right hand of the Father. And you don't realize the reason he sent us the Holy Spirit to seal us until the day of his second coming. And you do not realize the reason that we are here as the body of Christ today. You just don't get it. And you come to church week after week after week and you go through the motions and you repeat the prayers and you sing the songs, but you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And it's okay if you don't get it because Jesus' disciples didn't get it. And I love the story of Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus talks about the parable of the harvest and the entire conversation of the parable of the harvest is about getting it. And if you want to go home today, you can read verse 1 through verse 16, more or less, and you can read about the entire parable of the harvest. But just really quickly, you guys have heard this story, whether you realize it or not. Because at the beginning of the day, Jesus said that the owner of the farm went out and he hired workers. And then he went out the second hour and he hired another group of workers. And he went out the third hour and he hired another group of workers. Then the fourth hour and then the final hour of the day. And he hired the last group. And if you look at verse 6, he asked them a question. Everyone else is working in the harvest and he comes to a group that's seated on the sidewalk. And he says, why do you sit here idle and they said because no one told us and then Jesus said okay you've been told now get to work because we have work to do now see I love this story because I grew up on a farm in North Alabama and I understand what it means to be harvest time you know growing up as a teenager I hated growing up on a farm you know why You know what you got to do on Friday and Saturday nights when it was harvest time? Absolutely nothing. You know what you got to plan on Saturday when all of your friends were watching cartoons and eating cereal in their pajamas at 10 o'clock in the morning? You were on a tractor at 5 a.m. and you worked from the time it got day until it got dark at night when you can no longer work. And you worked until all of the harvest was in the barns. Now, I'm going to tell you how deep my story goes because my mom grew up in a family of sharecroppers in North Alabama, and they picked cotton. My mom's the oldest child, and you guess what? My grandmother told me one day that she picked cotton all day long and went home and had my mom that night at home. Do you know why? Because there is no exoneration to the harvest. Now, what I love about this story that Jesus is telling is he talks about five hours in the day, but if you really start breaking that down, what he's talking about is five different hours in our life, five different ages in our life. What he's saying is some people will get it 
in their 20s. Some people will get it in their 30s. Some people will get it in their 50s. And some people will get it in their 70s or 80s. And the important thing is not when you get it. It's just that you get it and you grasp that the harvest is the reason Jesus came. The harvest is the reason that we're here today. The people who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to ask you three questions. And I want you to do an internal audit of your life. Now, I don't want you judging the person behind you or in front of you or beside you. I don't want you worried about the person that's watching online or hoping that they're listening to what's going on. I want you to look at your own life and I want you to judge yourself according to three questions I'm going to ask you. Look at the person beside you and tell the person beside you, don't judge me. If you're seated beside your mother-in-law, tell her twice. <laughs> if, she's, if you're listening online, call her, okay, and just tell her. The pastor told me to call you and say, don't judge me, okay? Now, I want to tell you this right now. First question, can you see the harvest? These questions are to see if you get it, if you really get the reason why we're here. Question number one, can you see the harvest? When you walk out of these four walls, can you see the harvest that are outside these walls? When you watch the news, when you listen to the radio, when you open up a newspaper, or when you drive on the streets, can you see the harvest? Now see, my kids have taught me many, many lessons in life. How many of you guys got kids? Yeah? How many of you have learned lessons from your kids? Amen? Like you can't baptize a cat. <laughs> Cats ain't Baptist. <laughs> now my oldest son taught me this lesson about seeing the harvest. And he was only about four or five years old. And we were in a village together, and we were looking for an opportunity to preach the gospel because that's what we do. In this particular day, everything had gone wrong. And I found myself with my little boy surrounded by about 40 adults, and all of them were holding stones. And if they didn't have stones, they were holding machetes. And they were cussing at me and cursing me and calling me every name in the book and looking for any pretext to start killing me and my little boy. And I was trying to back to my car and I had my son behind me and I'm just trying to defuse the situation. I'm trying to walk away from the situation and just live to preach another day. And I remember in the middle of this craziness, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen someone that actually hates the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's pretty diabolical. But in the middle of this craziness, my little boy pulls on my shirt, and he says, Papa, I want to preach. I said, son, maybe not right now. <laughs> he said, no, Papa, I want to preach. And I turned around, and I said, okay. And I called the people's attention and I picked him up and I set him down on this rock. And I remember he had on a green tank top and orange pants because I had dressed him that morning. And some of you women know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't let your husband dress your kids and take them in public, right? 
Well, some of you women know that you can't even trust your husband to dress himself and take himself in public, right? And, and, and I remember setting it up on this rock, and I caught everyone's attention. And here he is, four or five years old, and, and he's preaching. And he had three points, because that's what pastor's kids do. They, they practice preaching. They serve, they, you know, they serve communion to their dolls and everything else. And here we are. He's got three points. Point number one, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. Point number two, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. <laughs> I didn't say he was creative. <laughs> Point number three, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. And at that moment, you listen to what I'm going to tell you right now. At that moment, a five-year-old taught his father, who was a missionary, just because they hate you, just because they don't look like you, and for God's sake, just because they didn't vote like you doesn't make them your enemy. It makes them his harvest. And if when you walk out of these four walls, you see enemies, then you need to get your nose out of the news and offline and get your nose in the word of God because they are his harvest. They're not our enemies. They're his harvest. Can you see the harvest? And you know what I found out? These guys doing this amazing outreach right here in Tallahassee. Friends, if you can't see the harvest across the ocean, you can't see the harvest across the street. Jesus told his disciples, he said, open up your eyes in John chapter 4 and see the harvest is white. Now, when Jesus said that, in John chapter 4, he wasn't talking about good Jewish people. He was talking about Samaritans who hated the Jews, did not believe like the Jews, did not look like the Jews, and thought the Jews were absolutely filthy. But Jesus said, open your eyes and see the harvest. Second question. What are you asking for in prayer? What are you asking for in prayer? Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're here today, you pray in one way, shape, or form. You may not do it in a formal way, but throughout your day, you're conscious that you're speaking to God throughout the day. And let me ask you, if your prayer request goes beyond what the normal prayer requests most Christians have, in the United States, there's three prayer requests that almost every American has. Here they are, me, myself, and I. Well, see, I can't pray without hearing a question that was asked to me because uh, years and years ago, I was, in a I was in a community, I was in our little market in the town we live in, I was preaching and a man came up to me and he accepted the Lord. He'd been coming for several weeks. He accepted the Lord. First person in his village to accept the Lord. He brought his entire family there that Sunday when he heard me preach in the market. They all gave their hearts to the Lord. And he said, I want you to come to my village on Tuesday and preach to our entire village. 
I want you to come to my home, and I want you to preach the gospel in my village because they've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, no problem at all. And I took off on Tuesday, and I showed up at a trailhead, and I'm looking around at the trailhead, and I'm looking for the guy that's supposed to be taking me to the village, and he's not there. And I asked someone, I said, hey, is this the path to Tunkus? He said, they said, absolutely. And I took off up this path. Four and a half hours later, after I had walked through thigh-deep mud for about an hour and a half, and I had lost my salvation seven times. <laughs> and I understand completely what Solomon said when it meant when he said, a righteous man will fall seven times, but he will get up every time. And I'm telling you, I walk into the village, and when I walk into the village, the entire community comes out because I am the biggest, hairiest man covered in mud walking into their village that they have ever seen, and they're wondering why has Sasquatch come to our village to visit us today. And I walk into the clearing, and everyone in the entire village comes out, about 150 people into an open clearing, and they're all just staring at me like deer in headlights. And I'm looking around, and I'm looking around, and I'm looking around, and I do not see any of the people who invited me to the village. And I asked a lady, I said, ma'am, is this village called Utunkus? And she said, yes, it's called Utunkus. I said, is it called Utunkus North? She said, no, it's called Utunkus South. Utunkus North is on that mountain over there. It was at that moment that I felt inspired of the Holy Spirit to preach in that, God, in that community at that moment because I'm thinking I'm not going back down that mountain and back up that mountain. It ain't happening. <laughs> so that day we started in the book of Genesis and we started talking about the seven days of creation. It took about an hour and a half and we got to Jesus. And that day, a hundred people heard the gospel for the very first time. And among those hundred people, about 10 of them raised their hand. Ten of them prayed to receive that promise of God. The first time they ever heard the name of Jesus. And among those was a lady that was 85 years old, and she adopted me as my Ecuadorian grandmother. No, we don't look anything alike. <laughs> and I remember I would walk up to her village, and I would read the Bible to her because she can't read. She's completely illiterate. And I loved going up there, and I would sit on a stump in front of her house, a giant log. And she would, uh, she would look, and she would say, uh, read me that part again where Jesus walked on the water. Read, read me that story one more time where he took the bread and the fish, and he fed all those people. Honey, she'd say it in Spanish. Honey, read that part where Jesus brought that man back from the dead. And one day we were having church out in front of that little house in front of her little shack hut. And, and all of a sudden she started crying and she was thanking God and she was giving me a t her entire life testimony. She'd had 16 kids. She had been sold as a, as a little girl to her husband as a wife. She had lost of those 16 kids, four of them in infancy, and they didn't make it to adulthood. And she was crying tears of joy, talking about how gracious and how happy she was that God had sent me to preach the gospel of their village. And then all of a sudden, her tears changed, and she asked me a question. Well, see, I can't pray not one day of my life without hearing this question. And she said, but sweetie, if what you told me is true, why didn't someone come sooner and tell me about Jesus? 
And see, I've got a little bit of a conviction because I don't want to talk about the second coming of Christ until everybody's heard about the first coming of Christ. And we have Christians that want to spend hours and hours and hours debating and talking and looking about the second coming of Christ when over half of the world has yet to hear about his first coming. Isn't it crazy that Jesus told us in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, that you would pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest field. Isn't it amazing that Jesus told us that you would pray for your enemies and those who hate you, despise you, and absolutely persecute you? And you know the reason we pray is not just to change our, uh, their, their lives through the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, but the reason we pray is so that our perception of them would change and they would go from being our enemies to being his harvest. No, the third question. No, this one's going to be uncomfortable. Those first two were kind of easy. How many of you guys still love me? Just raise your hand. Amen. I don't think any of you love me to begin with, but it doesn't matter. It's okay. That's fine. Third question. Where's your treasure? Now, when I ask you that question, as good Americans, we get anxious. Where's your treasure? Now, it's crazy to me that Jesus told us thousands of years before there was psychoanalysis and before there were psychologists and psychiatrists and, and, and even medical prop, proper medicine like we have today. He said years ago, Wheresoever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And see, isn't it unbelievable that realistically everything we have is either an obstacle or an implement to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything we have is either a tool or it's an obstacle for us to obey what God is calling us to do. And the only difference is where it's placed. Now, when we talk about that, we just start getting antsy, and we're like, oh, my God, it's like an IRS audit. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you talking about this? I mean, we go in here. But see, Jesus saw it was so important in us getting it that he said, if you are going to get it, your treasure has to be in the right place. Now, automatically, we do treat this as an audit, and we start asking ourselves, well, what's my percentage? I mean, Pastor Brian, how much do I have to give? I mean, what? Is, you just tell me a number and give me a flat deal, and I'll make that. You know, you just tell me the exact amount I'm supposed to lay on this line, and I'll do it, and that way I can just walk away from it, and it's over. Well, see, I can't answer it that clear. I don't think the percentages are there. I think when you look at the New Testament, and we see that there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and Jesus told him, Give it all away. Yet, there was Joseph of Arimathea that was a faithful follower of Christ who never gave it all away. The reason being is because both of them had the same treasure, but it was put in the different place. 
One of them had an implement. The other had an obstacle. Now, the only way we can answer that question is by considering experience. And I think about a guy named Marco. And we're about to land this thing, but there was a guy that I met in Ecuador. He's one of our pastors now. And, and when my kids were small, we would, take, we would take picnics. We'd go out and take our Land Rover, and we'd drive out, and we'd have picnics by the river. And I remember driving down this road that we'd never been down. We drove for hours and hours down this road. And when we got to the very end at the river where the road ended, we got out, and we were getting ready to have our picnic. And my wife said, no, don't do it. Get back in the car. Something's wrong. And I... Okay, you know, so we put everything back in the car and we drove back down the road about 30 minutes and we had our picnic. And six weeks later, one of my pastors came to me and said, Pastor, this is Marco and he wants to meet you. He's got a story to tell you. Marco's looking at me, smiling from ear to ear. And he said, uh, he said Pastor, I'm the first Christian in my entire village and I just accept the Lord. I said, praise God. He said, Pastor, were you in the village of Sungat six weeks ago? I said, yes, I was, but I turned around at the river and I came back down the mountain because my wife wouldn't let me get out of the car. He said, I know you did because I watched you for 30 minutes with three other men when you were coming up the path to our village and we made a decision that we were going to kill you and your wife and your children when you got out at the river. But he said, that was before I knew you were going to be my pastor. Then he looked at me and said, Pastor, you can't come to my village. They'll kill you. They've already said it. If that missionary comes to our village, we're going to kill him and throw him in the river before he ever speaks. So we sent Marco back to his village. We trained him for about a week, week and a half, and we sent him back to his village, and we didn't hear from him for six months. And on a Sunday morning, he walked into a service. He said, Pastor, what time are the baptisms? I said, Marco, we don't have baptisms today. He said, well, I've got my first 10 disciples here that need to be baptized. And then all of a sudden, he's got 10 disciples, and the village is turned up on his ear. The village has about 120 people in the entire village. It's turned on his ear, and the community rejects the Christians and says, we're going to take all of your land, we're going to burn your houses down, we're going to steal your lands, and we're going to kick you out of our community because you've become Christians. So all of a sudden, Marco comes back, and he says, Pastor, start praying and fasting. And we prayed, and we fasted for two solid days in the community the elders of the community changed their mind. They came back and they said, we've completely changed our mind. We don't know what happened, but we feel like we're wanting to change our mind and let the Christians stay here. But the one condition is you can't preach anywhere except in Marco's house. So Marco came and he said, Pastor, do you have any scrap wood? Do you have any leftover uh, roofing? Do you have some baling wire? Do you got a couple of nails? And we loaded up some old junk stuff for that we, you wouldn't even put on a, on a chicken coop, and we loaded it all up in the back of a pickup truck, sent it up to his village, and a month later, he showed me a picture, before and after picture. No, he showed me the first picture of his, of his, of his home, and his, and his home was a 500-square-foot shack that your HOA would not allow you to have in your neighborhood. And you wouldn't even park your lawnmower in it, but he, his wife, and their five kids lived there. Then he showed me the after picture, and he had disassembled his entire home and reassembled it half the size so he would have a place to preach the gospel. See, Marco teaches us that it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. 
And the only way to answer the question, how much should I give, is that we should give until we feel it. And if we can't feel it, then we're not putting our treasure fully where our heart is supposed to be. No, see, that's not just me. That's not just Joel Marbury. I can read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. Lewis. I don't know if we've got any C.S. Lewis fans. But if you want to get mad at someone, get mad at him, okay? He's been dead for a while. But when someone asked him about giving, listen to what he said. He said, I'm afraid that the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, and uh, amusements, etc., etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own. We are probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say, they're too small. Listen to this last, this last sentence. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes them. A lot of you want to know why you followed the Lord for years and years and you can't feel it. It's because your treasure is not where your heart is supposed to be. You've allowed the things that you have to become obstacles rather than the implements that God wanted them to be. Now, some of you are scared to death. You are. You're scared to death specifically asking yourself the question, what's it going to cost me? And what's unbelievable is God's given your church and your pastor an incredible vision to allow you to put your treasure where your heart's supposed to be. You don't have to worry about the integrity of your gift. You don't have to worry about where's it going or what's going on with this because that's what your pastor and that's what your missions committee here at the church do. They make those decisions, but all you have to do is make the decision to trust and to put your treasure where your heart is supposed to be. Now, I want to pray with you this morning. And I've already prayed for this service, but I want to pray for you specifically as a church. Because the fear that's coming over you is proving that your heart, that your treasure is not where your heart is supposed to be. Now, as we're sitting here looking at this, I'm going to teach you a prayer that my little girl taught me. I want to teach you a prayer that my little girl taught me because we do this thing in Ecuador every year in the fall. We have a fall festival and all the missionary kids dress up and we have all these, you know, we, we, we store up candy that teams leave over the year and we, we give it all away to the kids at that time and they do like trick-or-treating or whatever and, and they're playing games and pin the tail on the donkey and, 
One of the games we always have is, is uh, bobbing for apples. Any of you guys ever bob for apples? Yeah, the reason we do it is because it's like 9 million degrees in Ecuador in October. And so here we are, and we're bobbing for apples, and my little girl's three years old, and she's dressed up like Raggedy Ann. Her mom had made her costume. And she had the little heart-shaped thing painted on her lips like Raggedy Ann, and she's the cutest thing in the world. I am partial, but she was cute. And we're walking around and walking around, and we keep coming back to the apples, and she can't get one. And I figure something out. My daughter has a phobia of putting her face in water. Now, if you've ever bobbed for apples, it takes commitment. You're going to get water up your nose and in your ears and, you know, everything. Just you got to go with the flow, pin your ears back, go to the bottom of the barrel, and literally to be able to walk away, to be able to get it. No, the problem is she's watching her brothers get it. And they're just like, boom, boom. Like, they don't care. They got water coming out of their nose and out of their ears and everything else. They're just like, woo, another apple, another apple. And she just keeps going around in circles like, Papa, I want an apple, I want an apple. And I got I to gotta be sincere with you, okay? I mean, I did everything. I cheated as much as I could. You know, I went down, I put my hand in, in, the, in the barrel, and I turned the apple and put the stem up. And I'm like, oh, there's one. You get that one, okay? And she, she's trying to get it, and the stem breaks off. I'm like, come on. So I want an apple, Papa. I want an apple. I want to do it. I want to do it on my own. She's three years old. And I remember us going around in circles and we kept coming back to the apples and finally there was like one apple left. And she's looking at me and she says, Papa, I want to get, I want that. But she's scared to death. She cannot get beyond her fear. And by this time, as a three-year-old, she's shaking in her little raggedy Ann outfit because she's scared to death. And the longer we sit staring down what sits before her, she just shakes more and more. And she tries and she tries and she tries and she finally looks at me and she says, Papa, she says, Papa, I want you to push my head and hold it down until I get that apple. What my daughter taught me is that we reach a point in our faith walk that we trust God more than we fear what He's going to ask of us. Heavenly Father. We ask Him, Lord, I know this is going to cost me, but I trust you. And if you told me that I need to put my treasure where my heart's supposed to be, put it there until I can feel it then I believe my prayers are going to change 
I believe my outlook and my vision of the world is going to change. I believe that if I just trust you, you're going to allow me to get it and understand the reason that we even have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to stand up on your feet this morning. And if you're watching online right now, what I want you to do is I want you to just change your posture. If you're sitting on the couch, or you're sitting at a table, if you're sitting in your living room, no matter where you are right now, if you're in your car and you're listening to it, just pull off just for a second. And when I say I want you to change your posture, what I want you to do is I just want you to do something. You may stand up or you may kneel down wherever you are. But see, God's given you an opportunity to get it. To understand the true reason behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's not to make us comfortable and it's not to make us happy. It's to bring the answer to those who are living in darkness. Now today, if the Lord is speaking to your heart, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to do something much more symbolic. If the Lord is speaking to your heart today, and you really want to get it, you're just willing to say, look, God, I'm willing to trust. I'm really willing to trust here. I want to change my outlook. I want to change my, my prayer. I want to change my treasure. I want, to, I want it all changed because I want to get it. I do not want to get to the end of my life and look back and say, why didn't I get it? What if I would have trusted God? What if I would have really taken him at his word? What would have changed in my life, in my family, in my marriage, in my job? What would have changed? And if the Lord's speaking to you today and he's knocking on your heart and you're scared, I want to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to take your right hand and I want you to put it over your heart. If the Lord's speaking to you right now, just put your right hand over your heart. Just put it over your heart. I have to tell you something when we preach in Ecuador God doesn't need your money because he owns everything he can't cash your checks what he wants is he wants you he wants you lock stock and barrel nothing left out But he told us the way to get to him. To get our heart in the right place. That's through our treasure. That's not me. That's Jesus speaking. 
you're willing to trust him this morning more than your fears, you're willing for him to do a deeper work in your life, to change your outlook, change your prayer, then I want you to pray a short prayer with me. Not unlike the prayer that my little girl taught me. With your hand over your heart and your mind focused on the Lord, just say these words, Lord, push me. I trust you. Lord, even though it costs me, I'm willing. Even though things are going to change, I trust you. I trust you. Father, I come into your presence today and I pray for every person that's in this place. I pray for those that are in their living room and those that are in their kitchen, dining room, and have their hand over their heart. Pray right now, Father God, that you would take the word that has been spoken forth today. And you would seal it. God, I pray today that faith and trust would win over fear. And I pray today, God, that every person listening, whether they're 15 or whether they're 55 or whether they're 95 would get it they would realize God it's not about how long you've got it or, or what you accomplish but it's about getting it and understanding the importance of the harvest in our daily lives Lord we love you and we trust you in Jesus mighty name Joel, a great hand, great job. <laughs> Amen. He's going to be at the at guest services at the end of the service, so I want you to go say hello to him. Uh, great message. It doesn't matter when you get it, just get it. Don't feel bad. Well, I'm older, I should have got this early. It doesn't matter. Just get it. The most important thing is about the gospel. So, uh, so just a couple of things. You may be going, man, Joel, such great stories. Why aren't you in Ecuador? Go back. Okay. Well, missionaries serve for three to four years. And then they come home and they raise their budget to go back. Okay. So it's called itineration. They are home raising their budget because we want, we want them back. Okay. So this morning, number one, we're going to take a missionary offering for Joel. 100% of that will go to him. You can do it in several ways on our app. There's a give. There's a drop down on our give page. It says missionary speaker or guest or something like that. You can give through that. You can write a check, put it in the drop box. You know, you can uh, go to our website. However, you know, there's all kinds of ways that you can give. But that drop down, it just says guest speaker, guest missionary. 100% of that will go to uh, Joel. You can do it on the on the app. And uh, we, we want to bless him. You know, he's an Auburn fan. I want to get him back over as fast as I can. You know, get him back on the field. So, uh, hey, and then also, how do missionaries get to the field? They're sent by the local church.
Okay. And the faith promise is how we make the determination who we can support. We support, I think, 46 missionaries on a monthly basis, almost $5,000, maybe $4,800, something like that. And uh, your intention through the faith promise card or through an email if you're watching online just helps us to kind of gauge. Listen, we would love to add new missionaries. I got Bethany Bell going to Belgium. Got a, got roots right here in this church. We want to support. Uh, we want to support Bethany. So, if if this is the right time, God's spoken to you. There's a card on the front, that, and that all you have to fill out is just your name and the monthly amount. We'll be in touch with you with all the details. If you're online. You know, info, gctlh.org, or send me a faith promise, however you want to do that. Uh, but we want to make sure, at least in the COVID era, that we man, at least try to do what we did last year. If we can add, we would love to We would love to do that. So, uh, hey, thank you this morning for being here. Would you, would you stand this morning? I just want to do one final, final prayer. And... Uh, uh, any, anything you give to Joel, we appreciate your faith promise. So, Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for missions. And I pray, Lord, that we would get it. Lord, sometimes we go through life and we got kids and things happen. Sometimes we lose focus and we just need to be reminded of the most important thing in our life. And, God, I pray, I pray that you would speak to people through their giving. Lord, you want to do something powerful Lord, even in a difficult time, in a difficult era, uh, Lord, through, through missions. And Lord, I just give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, I'm your- Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.